Hello and welcome to Shoot the Breeze, where we take a nostalgic look at a random football magazine from the past. I'm Andy Smith, aka Scott's Footy Cards on Twitter, and with me is Tom Brogan. Hello. In each episode, we'll invite a special guest to join us in trawling through the magazine and discuss anything contained within it. This could be anything from an article, to a photograph, to a competition, to an advert. Basically, if it's in it, then we'll talk about it. So sit back and let's shoot the breeze. Wriggles clear. Might just get the chip and he does, he's scored! Oh, what a great Uh, this week we welcome magazine editor Barry Tomlinson. Barry has worked in comics for over 50 years, having started working on Lion magazine back in 1964 before editing Tiger, Roy the Rovers and the relaunched New Eagle in 1982. And it's an absolute pleasure to welcome Barry onto the show. Greetings, it's good to be with you. Thank you very much for joining us, Barry. We have picked out, a, as you know, we've, we've got the man on himself, so we've picked out a Roy the Rovers magazine to have a have a look through today. And so what we'll do is we, as we normally do, start from the front and just have a look at the front cover. And quite noticeable, it doesn't actually contain any characters or storylines from the magazine on the cover. Instead, it's got a large photo of the World Cup trophy and a photo of the Brazil team beside it. And it says, all set for Argentina. That's the heading at the top of the page. While top soccer team groups in Roy's World Cup booklet accompanies the Brazilian team photo. And this alludes to two pages within the magazine that contain a pull-out feature that can be collected over multiple weeks and kept together in a booklet. And we'll look more in detail inside on that. The cover price is eight pence and it is out every Monday. So just to compare that, uh, at this time, Shoot It magazine had a cover price of 15 pence. So, that, I mean, that's fantastic um, value for money, if you ask me. There's a few other prices. Uh, $0.30 cents for South Africa, Australia and New Zealand. And it's $1 in Malaysia. Anything we can we can pick out from the front cover here? It's, it's very colourful. Yes, obviously we'll be doing the build-up for the Argentina World Cup. And it's unusual not to have a picture story on the cover, but having the World Cup itself and mentioning the booklet collecting scheme, which was always very popular. It was a fairly cheap thing for us to do because there were no extra pages in the comic, but we were dividing the pages up into half-page team groups and the readers could collect those. They were very happy with it and we were very happy with it. So booklets were a good idea. It's certainly the thing I've noticed over all these magazines is, is the, the effort and the thought that goes into coming up with new things to keep people interested and and this is definitely one of them and as you say you know for very little effort it, it becomes a collector's item for for youngsters back then as well oh yes very much so i think yes i mean this is a front cover that i've totally forgotten about so i'm glad you reminded me about it yeah anything from the front there tom and uh, not particularly i just i just wanted to ask um barry when when did you realize that roy the rovers had become just part of the general language, you know, that kind of Roy the Rovers became part of the sort of English language when people are trying to describe something sensational. Yes, well, um, of course, Roy the Rovers appeared in the first issue of Tiger, which was 1954, and Roy was always the most popular story in Tiger. So when I was asked to produce a football comic, I suggested that Roy should have his own comic. And that really built on the character, which had been around a long time. And it was a case that children were growing up, becoming dads, and they wanted their children to buy the comic. So the more generations that got involved, the more things like real Roy the Rover stuff became a, mm. a national catchphrase. <laughs> okay, so we'll, we'll take a wee look inside for the first, the first story. So Football Family Robinson is the first one. And this was a story of a lower division team called Thatcham's United, where all the players of the team had to either be Robinson family members or called Robinson. Can you clear that up for me, Barry? Was it did they have to be family members or just called Robinson? It was just it was family members. Um, this is a story that was originally in Hurricane comic, and when Hurricane merged into Tiger, the story began to appear in Tiger, 
then it was dropped and later on it came back as a story in Roy the Rovers. So it's not one of the stories that I invented, it's one I inherited. So my knowledge of this particular story is not massive. Mm. I'm fascinated by the artwork because Joe Colhoun did the artwork yep. first of all in Hurricane and then John Gillett took over. But I'm looking at this artwork and I can't see it's either of those artists. It might be someone doing a copy of John Gillett doing a copy of Joe Colhoun's characters. It's interesting you say that because the two names I've got written down for this were Joe Colhoun and John Gillett, um, scripted by Tom Tully. But yeah, certainly you've got a keener eye than myself to notice that. That's that yeah, difference. It's it's a very good copy, but I don't think it is John Gillett's artwork. Mm. Okay, so we're going to have a wee, a wee read through this. So before we do, I'll just give a little background from where we are in storyline with this. Um, so in the week before, Thatcham were playing the last match of the season at Branton Town. They've had a disastrous season and are in danger of having to apply for re-election in the fourth division. And Branton scored in the opening seconds of the game after their goalie scored from a kick-out. The Thatcham new manager, one Tommy Robinson is on the bench with Ma Robinson and he's looking very worried. And it doesn't take long for Branton to go further ahead. Meanwhile, in the stand, pop singer Wayne Douglas, who has recently taken over ownership at the club, is also looking worried. It turns out that Wayne's real name is, in fact, Harry Robinson. Obviously, it had to be a Robinson. Now, on the sidelines, Ma Robinson is holding a rolling pin with intent. The players respond to this and manage to scramble the ball over the line for a goal. So Thatcham require another two goals to be safe. So on to this week's storyline. So the, the game, this week it continues with the game as Thatcham attack after attack is thwarted. Suddenly Branton break away with Thatcham players committed forward. Alf Robinson intercepts and plays it back to his keeper but is shot with the pass and a Branton forward nips in and fires in goal number three. Now this just happens as news comes in from elsewhere that the team they are fighting to finish above has gone further ahead. And Thatcham players trudge off, dejected at half-time. Meanwhile, the owner is on to his agent on the phone saying, you've got to help me. I don't want a loser's image. What do I do? In the dressing room, manager Tommy Robinson is nowhere to be found. So Ma Robinson takes over the team talk and she has a plan. Meanwhile, back in the stands, owner Wayne Douglas has been joined by manager Tommy Robinson, who's also looking for a way out of the club. Wayne reveals, I've decided we'll cut our losses and quit right away. I'll take over a first division club. And Tommy replies, and make me manager. I'm not used to dealing with part-time idiots. Five minutes later, the news of the move of Wayne and Tommy comes through over the TV in the dressing room. And this week's story ends with the news reporter asking, what happens to them now? So the, the game can actually continued over the next three weeks of the magazine, culminating in Thatcham winning the game in a remarkable comeback. The very last moment of the game ended in controversy as a Branton goal was ruled out due to the referee blowing up for a dog on the park before the goal was scored. Another goal that Thatcham scored was a retaken penalty after the ball moved before being kicked. While the rest of the team argued about who was to take it, the Thatcham keeper strode up and took everyone by surprise by slotting it away so there was a lot going on there over those three weeks there was a, a dog in the pitch there was a retaking penalty what what i love what i love about it is, is, is a, it seems a pretty classic um format and the 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 stories carried along by the fans as well as the the players on the pitch and i love the i love the fact that you can even crowds like forty thousand. you can have a fan on one side of the stadium saying something and then a fan on the other side of the stadium answering them and I just loved that method of, of doing things. Fans in our stories always had very good hearing. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And also, they, they always had something, always had something to say as well. It's interesting looking at that last picture. There's a triangle with bottom right saying, my mark's out of 10 for this story. Mm. That was a very popular idea with the readers. They did like marking stories out of 10 because at school, their work was being marked all the time. Here we gave them a chance to do their own marking. And that proved to be a very popular idea. And each time readers wrote to us, they would tell us what their favourite stories are. So we were always on top, knowing what story was popular and what wasn't. And whether the story carried on or not depended on the votes from the readers. 
Was that? I mean, it's it's obviously a, a very good way of figuring out how things are popular. But was was that a deliberate way of of getting that information really without having to go do market research? Yes, I mean this this was a very cheap way of doing that sort of thing. Some of the readers wrote to us. We asked them to give their two favourite stories. So I kept a great big chart on the wall, so I could see what story was popular and what what which stories were popular, which weren't. And I could see it in individual week if a story went up. I could go back and look at that story and see what caused that increase in popularity. Yeah, Matt Thatcher was quite a a character. She's got a a big heart with um, with flowers and all sorts in it, and then a rosette, which I, I love as well. She reminds me also a bit of Victor Boscovic, yeah. the man doing the hard man. Mm. And um, I mean, on on the 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 title, we've got a Robinson who I think's got a trapper's hat, and one's got a bowler's hat. Um, so that's, they certainly must come from all sort of walks of life. But yeah. So moving on, pages four and five is Mike's Mini Men, um, and this was a story that followed the ventures of Mike Daly and his table football team. Now, it was never referred to as Subutior, is that correct? I take it that's a copy, that would have been a copyright reason? That's right. We, we don't call it Subutior, we call it table soccer all mm. the way through. But it, it was a very popular story. It's one that we introduced in the first issue of Roy the Rovers. A very simple, basic story, but the fact it involved table soccer, Subutio, mm. made it very popular. And I find nowadays it's one of the stories that people really remember very well. All the Sabutio players these days refer back to this story. So it's had a, a very much a lasting impression on the readership. Mm. And again, marks out of 10 for the story there. This episode here, Mike has won a trip to Australia, his first, pl- first prize in a raffle to see the World Table Football Championships. He also has a free entry into a junior competition. It was a nice variation to be able to do this sort of story, mm. get away from the real-life football pitch. So I've, I've got this, it was written by Ian Vosper. Would, would it have generally been the same people who, you know, for a period of time, who would, who would do the storylines, or would they get mixed and, you know, mixed and matched? We mixed and matched, you know, if if, it, if I came up with an idea for a new story, then I would judge which writer would be the best one to do it. And we were very fortunate. We had a very, very good team of writers. Have you got the name of the artist down? I don't have the, the artist for this one. I asked that because I've forgotten the name of the artist. Mm. I'll, I'll, I'll look that one up. I, I, I couldn't find the, the artist. I just had the, the writer for that he, one. He was a young British artist. And the other day I asked his agent what his name was, and the agent had forgotten as well. So <laughs> my apologies to the artist if he's listening into this. Yeah. I'd love to hear from him and uh, remind myself what his name is, because he did, did a nice job on the story. Mm. Okay, well, we'll have a wee look into that and see what we can find out. Okay, let's have a wee look on. So we're on to the first section that isn't uh, strips. And this is page six, and it's split into two sections. The top section is titled Great Goals and shows Gordon Smith of Rangers power home the winner against Celtic at Hampden Park in the Scottish League Cup. Um, and it looks like Derek Parlane, who is also looking on for the for the Jairs, while Johannes Edvalson watches for Celtic, and Peter Latchford is the Celtic goalkeeper. Now, it says... Super Smith sends Celts to defeat at the bottom of the photo along with the details of a £2 win for James Stephen of Bells Hill who requested a Rangers player for this feature. In the bottom it also says, is there a player or a team that you would like to see in the series? If your request is used, you win £2. Uh, Also ask the reader, as you mentioned, to name their top two stories. So another way of getting the market research on the popularity of the stories. And just as a spoiler... That League Cup final finished 2-1 after an extra time to Rangers. David Cooper and Johannes Valsen with the other goals. So again, again, it's 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 involving, it's involving the the reader, isn't it? Making them feel part of it. Yes, indeed. Always involve the reader, make them feel part of the publication. And we were very generous with our prizes. Two pound. Wow. Yeah. I'd I'd, I'd sort of um I wouldn't say I pulled you up, but I, but I, I sort of slagged off one of them. Um, 
I think it was maybe Tigers ones um, on Twitter the other night, and and you you set me straight on it. Where it's they weren't actually asking for individuals; they were they were asking for specific goals because there was one where the person who scored that wasn't actually in the shot. I don't know if you remember that one, Barry. And it no. was um, I, I was I was making a bit of a, a deal about that, but as you as you pointed out, it was about the goal. It wasn't about the actual scorer themselves. Yes, we had a very pleasant debate about that. <laughs> yeah, I just accepted it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Okay, so the next one on that page is an advert for Star Lord, the magazine. Um, it's an advertising. It's advertising issue number three with a free Star Blast My Galactic Battle game, and it's a game they call Survival Training for You as Star Lord Star Trooper. And some of the stories mentioned are Robusters, the all-robot disaster force, slams into action to save Florida from the disaster of the decade. Strontium Dog, space pirates don't take prisoners, but they have a special reason for keeping Johnny Alpha alive, at least for now. Timequake, two James Blockers existing at the same time cause a psycho overload for the normal space-time continuum with gruesome results plus more action-packed adventures with the Planet of the Damned and Mind Wars. It's available every Monday for 12 pence. Um, the advert has a photo of a young kid at the bottom right looking up to the left in awe. At the top left, there's a drawing of the main character in the magazine, Star-Lord. Um, so, I mean, 12 pence, again, it just shows you the, the what you're getting for Roy the Rovers at 8 pence. You know, it's, it's definitely a bargain at that. Um, that this wasn't Star Lord wasn't one that I was overly I'd heard, I've heard of Strontium Dog, but I wasn't really too aware of Star Lord the the magazine. No, it wasn't one of mine, so I'm not an expert on it at all. I don't think it lasted very long. Hmm. A story like Rock Strontium tour, Dog that lasted a long time. Corn Ferry Tour PGA Tour. Sorry, PGA Alexa tour. was talking to me. <laughs> Alexa, stop for more. Was it something we said? <laughs> Must have been, yeah. So uh, around that time, Barry, what other magazines would you have seen as your competition? Is Tigers competition, Roy the Rovers? Yeah, some of the, the DC Thompson comics um, were our rivals there. But Roy the Rovers really was always in his own right. He didn't have much competition. Mm. And uh, as I say, it was the DC Thompson titles. Which you'll probably remind me of because I've forgotten their names. Because it's the Beano and the Dandy and. No, beyond, beyond that, the, the sporting ones. Ah, uh, okay. Yeah, Tiger and Roy the Rovers were two quite special comics, I think. Tiger was the first comic I edited, and obviously Roy the Rovers was a big part of Tiger. So those two have always been my favourites. So just on the Star Lord, so th this magazine was first published in 1978 as a sister title to 2000 AD. Star Lord, although actually better selling than 2000 AD, was cancelled after 22 issues and merged into 2000 AD. It was decided that two science fiction titles split the market, and since group editor John Sanders preferred 2000 AD, that was the one that remained. Yeah, so so you're right. It wasn't. It didn't last very long. 22 issues. But yeah, it makes sense when when it said there about having two science fiction. I mean, two is so similar. Um, but I, I mean, could you say the same for Tiger and Roy the Rovers? That maybe it was a surprise that they were so popular, given that you know they're both sports related ones. Even though I would say Tiger possibly looked at other sports a bit more. Would that be fair to say? When we launched Boy the Rovers as a separate title, there was always a danger that Tiger would suffer. So first of all, we ran the Roy the Rovers story, two versions of it, one in Tiger and one in Boy the Rovers, and did that for a few months. And then gradually dropped that out of Tiger. And Tiger didn't suffer at all, because we had a story called Billy's Boots, mm. which took over as a number one story in Tiger. So we had a very strong number one story in Tiger and of course also in Boy the Rovers so they, they were able to live side by side. Yeah. I mean it was certainly two it was two magazines, two comics that, that we got as youngsters and we absolutely loved them. But as you say, having having Billy's boots in one, Roy and Roy the Rovers in the other, you know, you're hooked on both of them. So you're gonna get both of those magazines just to find out what happens. 
and anything yeah. else is really probably a bonus. Yes, readers, a high percentage of readers bought both titles. Mm. Okay, so the next on the next page of this is these are the sort of things I, I remember really loving, and, and again, it's probably the sort of thing that that you say that you touched on earlier on that you put together. You know, it doesn't take a great deal other than the imagination to come up with it in the first place. But this is my team's performance this week, and it's it's a it's a chart which is enable you to complete the details of your favourite team's Saturday performance. It says below you will find spaces to enter the team details, scores, goal scorers, and your comments on the match. So the whole page is dedicated to this sheet where you can input some of the following. The name of the club, the opponents, the date, the competition, whether it's home and away, your team, spaces for 11 players and one sub, goal scorers for your team and the time scored, there's five spaces to input those details, and the same for the opposition team. The result and half-time score, the referee and the attendance. And there's a box to enter your comments on the match and also a space where you can input results of other matches your team has played this week. And you can give your team marks out of 10 for their performance. And finally, there's a chart compiled by field where you can input your own name. I just love that chart compiled, but again, it's it's the personal touch. It's, it's you know, what makes it specific to that person, putting your, yes, your name. Yes, it makes the feel quite important, putting their name to the chart. Mm. And these charts were very, very popular. I don't know if you found this, but filling in charts was something that readers liked doing enormously. Yeah. And as far as us editorial was concerned, that page was a very cheap page to produce. So we could spend money on other things in the comic and, and balance it out. But certainly my team's performance was something that was very popular. Mm. So uh, talking about charts, uh, one of the great items that you would get with the magazines would be like so the FA Cup charts and things like that. How much did you actually get involved in doing that and how much did you enjoy it? The, the big free gift charts. Yeah. I used to take a day off from work and design the free gift chart, what was going into it, before I handed it over to an art person mm. who would do a sophisticated layout, but I would do a rough pencil on what I needed on the chart and the sort of things that we could include in it. And I found that the more details we could put on the chart, the more popular it became. So it was a very good free gift. Yeah. And also, you know, quite often you'd be able to to do that over maybe two or three, four weeks as well as you do it in, in you know, half sections so that people can get a, a larger yes. a larger chart. Yes, when I first took over as editor, the department which dealt with free gifts used to come along and offer us very standard free gifts like a super space spinner or a plastic aeroplane or a pop gun mm. or a potato firing gun. And I changed all that and made sure that the gifts were very much associated with the title. That's why the charts became something quite special in, in Tiger and in Roy. So it was good that the free gifts were really tailored to that publication. And this is maybe a, a question on the spot, but what free gift or, you know, a chart like that, is, is there one that sticks in your mind that you just think that was the best one ever? That was the best we ever gave, or the most you were happy with? Any one I designed, of course. <laughs> yeah. Okay. I enjoyed doing the charts, and uh, they, was, they were popular, so it, it was a good gift to have. Mm. Okay, we'll, we'll move on to the main event of this magazine, and it's the Roy the Rovers strip. And so here we have two pages of the main story, and mm. full colour across both pages, and it is very colourful. Now, as, as we've touched on, Roy the Rovers first appeared as a weekly feature in Tiger in September 1954 and ran all the way through to March 1993 and was relaunched as a monthly in September 93, but finally closed in March 1995. It's the story of Roy Race, footballer and later manager, mostly associated with Melchester Rovers. I think, I don't know if it was in your, your book, which we'll have a wee chat about later on, um, but I've certainly read or heard you say something along the fact about Melchester wasn't actually a particular place in the UK. What was the thinking behind Melchester not being an actual place? Well, Melchester was your local team. It's just around the corner from where you live. No matter where you live, it's your local team. 
we never said whether it was in the north or the south. It was your team. It was your local team. And that's something that, that I always emphasise all the way through. Roy never spoke with any particular accent and we never hinted where Melchester was. It's just your local team and that worked very well. Yeah. I'm going to jump back to the week before just to set a bit of the storyline here. So we start with Melchester Rovers playing Alcoven in the meeting in the Stade de Colombe for the final of the European Champions Cup. Uh, both teams emerged with Roy's great friend and rival, Johan Segrin, leading out the opposition. Roy had previously met Johan in an England versus Holland match where they won 5-1. So in the last week, Melchester went 1-0 up, but it wasn't long before Alcoven went back on level terms. And so on to this week's episode. With only 15 minutes gone, the game is tied at 1-1, and Roy races on the attack, but he's been closed down by a number of defenders and doesn't look best placed to get there first. But he does, and he knocks the ball down with his head into the path of the onrushing Jeff Giles. Instead of hitting the ball first time, Giles takes a touch and he gives a chance to the defender to come in and clear. A bit of banter ensues between Seagrin and Race as Seagrin grins over and says, A good chance, Roy, but this time you do not have Trevor Francis and Malcolm McDonald to tuck them away. Roy responds in a thought bubble to himself, the cheeky perisher. Roy in black and grey, his teammate, discussed the fact that Seagrin and half his Algovin teammates were in the team that were thrashed by England and that they are out for revenge in this game. Now, Algovin are playing some great football now and their fans are becoming more vocal. They are passing the ball around the Melchester players and take the lead with a great team goal finish by Seagrin. With Melchester going in 2-1 down at half-time, Roy and Blackie discuss what they have to do in the second half to get back into the game. Roy's adamant that tactics he used in the England game will pull them through today. He insists they don't need to go all out attacking. The second half gets underway with Alcovin seeming to take control while Melchester play it cool and absorb the pressure. From the crowd comes, they better not give the Dutchman too much rope. Just as a snapshot from the Dutch nearly caught out the Melchester defence. But Rovers keeper Charlie Carter did enough to stop it. Suddenly, Rovers break as Roy Race calls for the ball out wide in an area that Alcovin players wouldn't expect to see him in. Roy beats one man and then sends a long crossfield ball, which the on-rushing Jeff Giles looks to be on course to meet. If he does meet it, then he's surely got a great chance to score as he's through and goal. But if he hesitates, he's finished. This could be the equaliser, says a voice from the crowd, if he's got the courage to volley it. And it's at this cliffhanger that this week's episode finishes on. So just as a, as a spoiler, in the next week's magazine, the story continues on the front page. And it's a great shot from Jeff Giles as he manages to meet the ball in the volley under pressure from two Alcovin players. But the keeper makes an outstanding save to push the ball onto the bar and away. And it's headed away by a Dutch defender. But it falls to the feet of Roy Race, who unleashes the famous racy rocket of a shot into the top corner of the net to draw the game level 2-2. Melchester are pressing for the winner, but Seagrin is still driven on by his defeat to the English and goes on a terrific run before unleashing a shot. The ball takes a deflection off a Rovers player and agonisingly curls into the net with keeper Charlie Carter unable to readjust. It's now 3-2 to Alcovin. Rovers have a final chance which grazes outside of the post before the referee blows for full time. Alcovin have done it. They are champions of Europe. Roy and Johan Seagrin exchange shirts and handshakes at the end of the game. Roy says, I've had my date Wembley a few months ago. It's your turn now. It's just, it's, it's typical. A, a few of the things that we talk about, the the crowd taking the storyline. But the, the, the bit I love there is um, the, the one that I'm showing at the moment is like three TV screens. So it says all over Europe, millions of viewers saw the build-up. And I love that way of using the, the TV screens to, to show multiple phases of play within within the, the, the one shot. So I, I, I love things like that. Very exciting stuff, isn't it? I'm enjoying it. Yeah. But it's like there was also in the the Robinsons one as well, where they the use, use a TV screen to, to, to further the storyline. It's a good way of doing it. Yeah. Without, I mean, without actually noticing that before, it seems quite a... A well used thing in this this magazine certainly, but yeah, I just I, I sorry, so I just love the banter between them as well. The you know Johan Seagrin giving giving Roy a bit of banter and Roy's thinking the cheeky perisher. 
which is just a cracking rephrase. I mean, very strong language we we'll use. <laughs> yeah. So this is a, a classic Tom Tully script and David Skew artwork. And I'm pleased to see that the that Melchester are wearing the shirts that I designed. So that this this was pre Gola, wasn't it? Yeah. So Gola would have yes. come after this. Yes. When Melchester first appeared, they had um, blue shirts, yellow sleeves, I think. But I wanted to get a more modern design, so I came up with this one, which uh, again proved to be very popular. And it's a very distinctive colour scheme, and it makes the team stand out when you see it in colour like this. I suppose it's it's quite reminiscent then of the, the Liverpool story, isn't it? Because Liverpool changed the red for similar reasons. Yes, but we had the classic yellow stripe going down, which uh, mm. was a bit different. And then the number, you see, the, there's the large number in the back, and then there's quite you know prominent numbers on the the shoulder, the arm of the shoulder, which ahead of its time. Um, we we were was it nineteen ninety two the European Championships, Tom, that had that yes. similar thing. Yeah, we were talking about that with numbers in the chest. Mm. We always like to be ahead of the game. Yeah. So. Yeah, the, the the strips, Melchester Rovers, all red. They've got the yellow stripe down one side, and then on the shorts, it's on the op. There's a stripe that goes on the opposite side as well. The, the socks as well. Did the socks have a yellow stripe down the centre as well? Is that what I'm seeing? Yes, down the front of the socks. Yeah. Mm. Very unusual. That I don't think I've ever seen anything like that in a in a pair of shorts, a, a real strip. So it'd be interesting if any team have ever done that. About Roy the Rovers, um, Tom, yourself, we, we, we haven't spoke about what sort of magazines would you have got back then? Uh, yeah, well, about? I bought Roy, Roy, the, Roy the Rovers. No, I was a big fan of uh, Roy the Rovers in, in particular. Hot Shot Hamish and Billy's Boots and all that, but um, I, Roy the Rovers, I was a big, I was a big fan of. Was there ever, Barry, was there ever a storyline that you turned down for Roy the Rovers you thought was too much? I mean, you got up to an awful, an awful lot over the years. It, it was always a bit difficult planning the story so much in advance. Tom Tully would come up to my office and we'd sit down for a couple of hours and talk about storylines, what was going to happen on the pitch and what was going to happen off the pitch. And we'd get it roughly worked out. Then we'd go off for lunch and lunch would last maybe two and a half, three hours, during which we continued our planning. It was a very civilised way of planning a story. And uh, we came back very happy and contented with what we'd done. Okay, let's have a look at it. So the next one is Safest Hands in Soccer. This was um, written by Gil, Gil Page and drawn by Osvaldo Torta, as, as if I pronounced those names correctly. Yes, that's right. He's a very talented South American artist. So was Osvaldo or was it someone else? Who, there was a story in your book about how they had to do a convoluted way during the Falklands crisis to get the, the artwork up Yes, that, that, there's an artist called uh, Julio Schiaffino right. who drew Hotshot Hamish and uh, he was from Argentina. So when the war was on, we had to get the scripts translated in Italy and sent from Italy to Brazil, then from Brazil to Argentina and take the same journey on the way back. And uh, we didn't lose any issues at all. It, it worked very well indeed, but it took a bit more planning, but mm -hmm. uh, it did work. I mean, the, the, the South American artists that we used were very talented, and we tended to use quite a lot of people from South America and Italy, because they had a very good standard of artwork. Yeah. I guess, you know, as a kid and even growing up, like you, you don't fully appreciate what goes on to deliver these stories. I um, mean, you, you don't think that situations like that would affect, you know, the delivery of Roy the Rovers magazine, for example. Yes, indeed. And physically, it was a big job because artists tended to draw twice the size it appears in print and drawing on very thick board. So a 32-page issue 
would be very heavy to carry around. Mm. It's not like today when you've got computers and everything can be done instantly and without any great effort as far as carrying things is concerned. But these issues were very heavy to deal with. The, the, when the artwork came in, we had to check through it and then send it to a lettering artist by post again. And they would post them back to us. So it was a very complicated business getting a story ready to go to press. Well, when you look back, obviously it's it got easier because of technology to do things like that. But do you look back and sort of miss the, the earlier days of doing things, the way things were done? Well, yes. In my day, really, technology hadn't come into it. It was a long time ago. So computers and so on weren't used at all in the times that I was producing the comics. There was a mention, um, and explain this to me, so there was something that said they changed from letterpress to web offset, which allowed you to then use colour color prints. So what, what, in layman's terms, what does that actually mean? Oh, that was, a, it, it was a wonderful thing to be able to switch from letterpress to, to offset, because we could use photographs for the first time. And I was determined that we would use photographs a lot. Some other comics tended to stay as they were and didn't make use of the new situation. But once we'd got that offset facility, it was important that we just change the balance a little bit in the comics so we could produce more photographs. Let's um, have a wee look at just the next page. So there's, a, there's an advert here. It's an advert for Tiger. And it says, part two, World Cup 78. You pull out booklet, and it's got a photo of Trevor Francis holding the World Cup aloft, and he's wearing a large rosette. The advert says, another four pages for this sensational pull-out souvenir booklet that is a must for all followers of the World Cup. This week's photos are of Scotland's Lou McCary and Willie Johnson, plus France's Dominic Rochetou and Holland's Johan Neeskens. Tiger, eight pence, out now. So, same price as Roy the Rovers, and I'm assuming that pullout would just be the same, or if not very similar to the one that's in Roy the Rovers as well at the moment. That's quite. Um, it's interesting that we've got Trevor Francis there advertising the Tiger booklet, because Trevor Francis had signed to write for Tiger every week, and that was quite a scoop for Tiger to get the world's most expensive footballer writing for us. He wasn't writing for any of the big football magazines. We got in there first, and uh, it was quite a scoop for us. How, how would that have came, come about? How did it come about? Gosh. Um, well, the, the first big sporting character we used was Gordon Banks, was the first to write for Tiger. And that came about after Gordon was voted the Tiger Sports Star of the Year by readers. And when I presented the trophy to Gordon, we were talking and I said, well, what have you got going for you? And he said, nothing really. And I thought, gosh, he's the World Cup winning goalkeeper. It's a chance to sign him up. So I signed him up there and then. And on the train back from Stoke, I had to work out how we were going to fit it in and how we could afford the fee for him. Uh, and it worked out that two pages of artwork was about the same price as we were paying Gordon. So that balanced out all right. It was the start of bringing in real personalities into Tiger. As I say, Gordon was the first and Trevor Francis came along fairly soon afterwards. And all the, all the big name characters that we used were so enthusiastic about the comic. They got very much involved with it. And that was a big plus because I think you could just get something ghostwritten and leave it at that. But, but these characters were very much involved in the comic itself. Was it, was it Gordon? I think you, you mentioned this in your book, how even when he went on holiday, or he was away coaching or whatever, that he still would send postcards or something back? Is that? That's right. He'd send a postcard addressed to the readers and we, we would reproduce it in the comic. Hmm. And again, it was making the readers feel that they were very involved in the title. They were very involved with someone like Gordon Banks. And that sort of connection worked very well. I guess I guess it shows what it meant to him as well that it, it probably didn't really feel too much like work that he, he could still he could still do this when he was away. 
it, it was a yes. It, it wasn't work. It, it was a pleasure to do all these things. So, so you you have you've worked with, I mean, some some of the names is Jeffrey Boycott, Eric Borkum, Ernie Wise. Just some of the names you've you've worked with have just been, you know, you must have been pinching yourself thinking, you know, how how did this how is this happening? Yes, it was partly, I think, the reputation of the comics because they've been around a long time, the characters and the comics, and they meant something to people. And I did seem to have an ability to be able to persuade people to do things for us. I mean, Morecambe and Wise, they were the top show business people in the country. And when I approached them and asked if Eric would write for Roy the Rovers and Ernie write for Tiger, they, they agreed straight away. And Ernie came to so many of our Tiger functions that uh, it was great. And the readers liked seeing photographs of him, of these characters involved with, with the title. So that was very good. I mean, the first issue of Roy the Rovers, I managed to get Prince Philip to write an article for the first issue. And that again was something of a scoop, getting a member of the Moore family to write for a children's comic. Mm. I guess, you know, as you've highlighted, I guess it just highlights the standing of the magazines at the time, that it was it was almost showbiz, I guess, in, in their own right, that, you know, people wanted to be part of it. Yeah, very much so. As, as I say, the reputation of the comics was, was first class. I remember going along to Lord's Cricket Ground on a non-cricketing day. I had a meeting with Geoffrey Boycott in at Lords, and I got to the gate and said, I've got, I've got an appointment with Jeffrey Boycott. And the gate man said, no, nope, you can't come in here. Who are you from? I said, I'm from IPC magazines, which at that time was the largest publishing house in Europe. He said, no, nope, I don't care where you're from, you can't come in. And this went on for about 20 minutes. And eventually I said, well, what is for Tiger? And he said, for Tiger? Come on in, of course you can come in. And off I went. So that's the sort of reputation the comics had at that time. So, I mean, some of the other names here, Jackie Stewart was um, won the, the Sports Star of the Year twice in Tiger yep. that we're talking about here. Peter Shelton, Seb Coe, big name after big name. Um, you signed Jack Charlton, Trevor Francis. So, so talk a little bit more about Trevor here. So you signed him up as a writer just as he was going over to the States. Is that right? That's right, yes. I, I was fortunate that I was able to go to America and see him play for Detroit Express. Um, we just got to the ground in time to watch the match and he scored four goals, which wasn't bad. <laughs> but yes, we were able, when he went to America, we weren't quite sure, first of all, whether we'd be able to carry on with the, the series, but uh, it, it worked okay. How, how was the magazine you know, over over in the States, did it have a following? Was there a, a good readership over there? No, it didn't have, unfortunately. There was a lot of interest in it. I did a few interviews while I was over there. But we never established any great sales in America. In Canada, yes, but not in America. Why do you think? Is that because of the number of expats that would be in Canada? Yes, I think at that time, soccer, as they call it, wasn't as popular as it is now. charity partner this season is the West Dumbartonshire Community Food Share. This is a charitable organisation that provides various services and support to the local community, including the following. A school uniform bank, school holiday brunch bags, food provisions, Christmas toy bank, cooking and growing lessons and a baby bank. They provide essential support to the local community in supporting individuals and families and we will be looking to support them in any way we can through the podcast. This will include drives for donations of food, money and support in the form of volunteers. We will also be raising awareness of the group to highlight the work that they do, but also to ensure that families and individuals who can benefit from the group are aware of these vital services. You can follow them on the West Dunbartonshire Community Food Share group on Facebook or westdunbartonshirecommunityfoodshare.co.uk for the website. And that's West Dunbartonshire with an N. You can also donate through our Just Giving page for the charity at justgiving.com forward slash fundraising forward slash shoot the breeze one word. 
Also, keep an eye on our Twitter accounts at shoottb underscore podcast and at Scott's Footy Cards for updates and news on our charity partner. We'd like to say a special thank you to Pete Wiley of the Mighty Wah for the use of the story of the blues in the music for our show. You can catch up with Pete on petewiley.co.uk where you can check out the details of upcoming gigs and new music. We'd also like to thank our producer Diane Jarden for her great work and support on the podcast. Please check out transmissionroom.co.uk where you can book music recording and rehearsal facilities in Clybank. Okay, let's have a wee look at the next page, which is Roy's Summer Quiz League. This is the first in a series of Summer Quiz Leagues and has been introduced by Roy Race himself. He says, each week I will be presenting a football quiz in which you score a goal for each correct answer. At the end of the quiz, you can add up the number of goals you've scored and see if you've won the match. There are five questions. If you score four or five, then you win the match and get two points. If you score two or three goals, you draw the match and get one point. If you score zero or one goal, then you lose the match and get no points. There's a box to record the number of points you got this week, the number you had from last week, and your new total to carry forward to next week. And question one is accompanied by a black and white photo of the Scotland World Cup squad in the recording studio with their headphones on. They are sat around a cardboard cutout of Rod Stewart, obviously not able to make this a part of the recording um, of the song Oli Ole. This just reminds me of um, the famous technique that you use to to get Roy Race introduced to, to human beings, shall we say, with the, the cardboard cutout of Roy Race, which became just an iconic thing. Talk us a bit through that. I mean, talk, talk us through the idea of doing that and how how people reacted to it. It, it was very good. The, the, the cardboard cutout went to so many different places. I remember going to a, an England training session and taking the cutout with me. And I stood on the touchline watching a practice match with Roy standing next to me. And one of the England coaches came across to me and said, there's more life in your cardboard cutout than there is in the England forward line. <laughs> so yes, pe- people really enjoyed posing with the cutout. We've got a great series of photographs of people like Bobby Robson posing with the cutout and Sir Ralph Ramsey and so on. Yeah. I mean, I've seen that it was um, Suzanne Dando was was she one as well? Yes, um, I think, and um, I, I can picture him with a. a, a Santa Claus outfit on and things like that, which was another popular thing of the time to to guess who the Santa Claus was. Yes, we did a sort of pantomime feature in the Christmas issue where we had a a famous personality join Roy in a sort of crazy picture story. And Suzanne Dander was one of the people that did that. Sharon Davis was another. Mm. Okay, we're going to have a look at... So the next one's Simon's Secret. So this was um, uh, partly bionic. I think he had one leg which was bionic and bionic hearing or something like that. Um, move on to the centre spread, which is sign please. And for this one, we have Cyril Regis. So again, this this is where a famous sportsman's photo is provided, usually in colour, and it's signed by the star as well. So so how would the the signature thing work? Would there be a copy of the photograph and they would actually sign it or would it be imposed onto the photograph? Yes, they would sign um, on a piece of board and uh, we would then superimpose that on the photograph. Right. Again, people were quite keen to do that but there was no problem at all. Mm-hmm. So the stars featured are done at, so at the request of the reader once again and anyone who gets the request met wins £2 and again as, as you quite rightly point out £2 is a lot of money back then. In this case Kevin Jelfs of Droltwich wins the £2 and the magazine requests that you also tell them your top two stories when you write in so all the way through that. Okay, so we're going to just jump out the magazine for a few minutes here, Barry. I'm going to turn the tables and do a focus on yourself, if that's okay. So I'm just going to fire some questions at you, if you can let me know your answers. Uh, full name? Well, other than Barry Tomlinson. Barry James Tomlinson. Okay, Barry James. Okay, what was your birthplace? I was born in St Albans in Hertfordshire. Okay, and what was your first car? My first car was a Mini. 
Do you remember the colour? It was blue. blue. And it's a bit of a coincidence that we had a story in Tiger called Martin's Marvellous Mini. That idea came about after I bought my own Mini. I remember that one very well. Who's your favourite player of all time? Let's open this up because I know you like cricket and stuff like that. So your favourite sportsman of all time? Well, I suppose football would be Gordon Banks, I suppose. And uh, cricket, it would have to be Geoffrey Boycott. Who's your favourite football team? Manchester Rovers. <laughs> Brilliant answer. What's the most memorable match that you remember? They were all memorable, so much so that I can't remember a particular one. <laughs> <laughs> Another good answer. What's been the biggest thrill of your life? And um, I realise that there's probably been quite a few. Yes, um, that's, a, that's another good question. There's so many. You know, launching Roy the Rovers, becoming editor of Tiger before that, and launching so many comics over the years. They were always a big thrill to get involved in launching a new comic. Okay, what's been your biggest disappointment? Um, Wildcat comic, which I launched right at the end of my comics career, and it brought in everything that I'd learned over the years. It had very good contributors, and it should have lasted much longer than it did. That was a disappointment when that didn't last, but it's good that it's still remembered today, and a lot of the stories are now being re reprinted by Rebellion. So I... I think we got it right, but there was something wrong somewhere. The distribution didn't work as it should have done. Mm -hmm. What's the best country that you visited? I enjoyed going to Australia. I went out there to join the England cricket team because I was asked to produce a cricket magazine. So I went out there, met all the cricketers, got to know them, got to know a lot of the Australian people as well. And I met Kerry Packer, who was a big personality in the Australian world of cricket. And I was all set to go. And when I got back, they said, no, we don't want you to do a cricket one. I want you to do another football comic. So very enjoyable trip to Australia, but uh, it was wasted to one extent. But I came back and launched a new football title, which was in fact Roy the Rovers. Right. The rest is history, as they say. Uh, miscellaneous likes. So give me a couple of things that you like to do. These days, I like drawing. I, I, I do pencil drawings, and I find that very relaxing. And uh, I've just finished my third book and trying to find a publisher. So any publishers around would like to take on my third book, it'd be very welcome. Okay. Miscellaneous dislikes. So what's a couple of things that drive you up the wall? People who talk very loudly. Nothing personal today. No one's talking loudly. You're okay. <laughs> Um, people talk loudly and fish. Fish. I don't like fish. As in the food or just swimming about fish? No, just as a food. Right, okay. Okay, favourite food? Trifle. Trifle? Okay, yeah. That's the, I can honestly say that's the first time I've had trifle as an answer. Well, um, when I was working, we had business lunches. I was quite famous for having the same lunch almost every time, which was melon, steak, and trifle. So if people took me out, they knew what to order. Yeah. Okay. Um, Favourite TV show of all time? Oh, 40 Towers, I suppose. Okay, that's a good one. Uh, Favourite singers or, or groups? In my younger days, it was Ruby Murray. I was an enormous fan of Ruby Murray who's now probably better known as a slang name for Carrie, Ruby Murray. But yes, Ruby Murray um, was my favourite when I was younger. Okay. Who's your best friend? My best friend would be my wife. Okay. Who's been the biggest influence on you? I think Marcus Morris, who was the editor of the original Eagle. I was a reader of the original version of Eagle and I really appreciated the things he did in that publication. It was the first time I'd read a comic where I knew the name of the editor and he also involved personalities of the day in that title and that taught me a lot so he had a big influence on me. Uh, later on in my very early days of journalism 
Sticks, the cartoon, has taught me a lot about humour, a lot about presentation. So I think perhaps those two. Okay, good ones. And final question. Which person in the world would you most like to meet? <laughs> that is a difficult one, isn't it? Mm. Roy Race, probably. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, great stuff. Thank you, Barry. Tom, do you have any questions? Yeah, well, I mean, I've got your your book here, uh, Barry, comic book hero, which tells all about your uh, your your days uh, working in publishing. As Andy just said, and asked you who you would most like to meet. I think you've met everyone. I think this this book goes through all the amazing people that you've met, Barry. But, I, but I'm just personally um, intrigued about Peter Sellers. Yes, that that, that was. It was a very special day because I was a great fan of Peter Sellers and The Goon Show. And a hi-fi magazine asked me to go along to interview him, about, really about his hi-fi connection. But we did it in two parts. I, I interviewed him with more humorous things. And uh, later on, somebody else came along for the hi-fi part of it. But meeting him was, was a great occasion. And I got a picture of him reading Tiger, which was quite nice. <laughs> so yeah, so that was it. That was a big day for me. There's also the anti-trombone league was involved. The anti-trombone league, yes. Was Peter Peter was a was he a member of that? He, he He's a member, member of that, yes. Yeah. When I went to do the interview, um, he didn't know I was the same person that organised the anti-trombone league, <laughs> and uh, so I was able to remind him about it. And I was quite pleased that uh, he remembered it in great detail. I've got some very nice letters from him, um, full of Peter Sellers' humour, which which are great souvenirs. Yeah, just as a bit of background in that, it was a free magazine that you set up while you were in the the Army Pay Corps. Is that right? That you set up free of charge to fellow soldiers. Yes, absolutely. I guess yeah. that would have been your first your first um, interaction, your first introduction to working with magazines, then. Yes, it was indeed. I hadn't done anything in journalism at all. And in the army, this guy came along who had a trombone and he practiced it day and night. So I said, well, let's form the Anti-Trombone League. And people signed a petition. And then someone suggested that I did a magazine based on this. And that was my first entry into the world of journalism. And once I'd, I'd done that, I was hooked. Mm -hmm. And my, my whole direction of my life changed. I think it it sort of um, gave a, a clue of what, what was to come in terms of how you could get the big names in because it was you managed to get some work done by Sticks back at the time and also um, Roy Castle and Spike Milligan became members. Yes, indeed, yes. A lot of the top show business names agreed to to get involved with that. And that was the first inkling I had that I had the ability to persuade people to do things. <laughs> it's a good skill. <laughs> so the the book that, that Tom's got there, that's um, Comic Book Hero, which I've read and really enjoyed. In fact, I've read it a couple of times. That's how much I enjoyed it. Um, wh where's the best place to get the book, Barry? Um, well, there's two books. There's Comic Book Hero, which is about all the other comics I got involved with, um, other than Roy the Rovers, because my first book was called Real Roy the Rovers Stuff, and that's all about Roy. And the second book is about all the other comics. Um, there are a few comic uh, copies left on Amazon, I believe, and you, certainly you could get a, a Kindle version quite easily, I think, but there are still a few paper copies around. Did you say, you say you're working on a third book at the moment? Yes, the, the, the first two books were really all about the world of comics. And this one is about all the things I've, I've done in my life, start, starting with my school days. I was a police cadet, then my national service, then how I got into journalism. And there, there is a, quite a long chapter on comics in the middle of the book. So I'm hoping that someone will come along and publish it. Because I think it's uh, it'd be interesting to people to read all the things I've done. Excellent. Okay, listen, Barry. Thank you very much for taking your time out. It's, it's been a long time coming, and I've I've been wanting to get you on the 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 podcast for a long, long time. So it's been an absolute pleasure and an honour to have you on because, you know, you, you're a legend um, amongst the the sort of things that that Tom and I 
do for the podcast and basically for fun. So thank you very much for spending your time. Well, thank you very much. It's been real war on the road and stuff. <laughs> <laughs> Great stuff. Listen, and, and, and if you're listening to the podcast, please, get, what's your, your Twitter handle, your Twitter account name, Barry? Um, you find me on Twitter at Barry, B-A-R-R-I-E, Editor One. Okay, so definitely give him a follow because there's there's some cracking memories and pictures and stuff that get posted on there. So follow Barry on there and as always, um, follow us on shoot TB underscore podcast. Uh, listen along with the podcast. There will be a, a, a web page that you can you can follow along and watch the, the pages that we've shared as well while you listen. As always, please give us some feedback. Uh, thank you once again to Barry. Thank you to Tom for being Tom. Thank you, Andy. Thanks, Barry. Thank you. And until the next time, let's shoot the breeze. <laughs> <laughs>